Ducks fans, where and whenever you are listening. This is the Once a Duck podcast, where we bring you up to date with current and former University of Oregon athletes and give you never-before-heard stories about your favorite teams and moments in Duck history. We are recording this episode on December 4th, 2019, and releasing this episode on December 6th, the day of the Pac-12 championship game. We are making this a very special Pac-12 championship episode just for you guys, releasing it a week earlier than our normal schedule date. With me, my co-host, Samuel Chidrick Schmidt. How are you doing, Sam? Nick, every single time you say it, you get a little better at the name. One of these days you'll get it, and I can't wait. Hey, you know, you got to balance it out. You're going to get one of the last names right, right? Yeah, I mean, if, it, if, if, you're, if you're batting 500, man, you're a Hall of Famer in the MLB. When you grow up with three first names in your full name, you know, you, you don't have the, just the capability of being able to, to pronunciate everybody's elaborate last names, my friend. Man, I didn't know Freakin' was a first name, Nick Freakin' Cody. Middle name, sir. Freakin' is my middle name, and uh, Freakin' is the PG version. But getting on to our championship episode, we are going to be talking most specifically about the inaugural Pac-12 championship game, which I got the opportunity to start in. We talked a little bit last episode about Ty Burrell breaking my ankle. Unfortunately, it was one of the coldest games I've ever played in, and the entire time I had to have an ankle brace stapling me together that was built into my shoe. Other than that, it was a great day. I didn't play my best game, absolutely. It was a, It was definitely one of the, the most difficult conditional games I've ever had to play in Austin Stadium. It reminded me a lot of the game we just saw against Oregon State, Sam. In that Oregon State game, that was cold, uncomfortable, and ugly football. I wouldn't say the football in that game was ugly. Oregon was able to score. UCLA was as well, but that's how they got to that championship game. They were a good team, and Oregon was able to take care of them without much of an issue back in 2011. Well, in 2011, we had a team that was just conditioned, tough, ready to go in any condition. We played a, a variety of games that season, uh, you know, that that prepared us for that moment. Uh, and UCLA, of course, playing because USC was ineligible. They they definitely came in a big underdog, and uh, there were moments where we had some turnovers that led to big plays for them that that may have been minor moments of doubt for the Oregon Ducks. But all in all, we had the game in hand pretty early and it ended up being a pretty big blowout and the celebration at the end was was something I will always remember for the rest of my life it was uh it was special but it it, it was strange because uh Autzen Stadium was completely decked out Pac-12 style uh a couple UCLA logos here and there these big stacked towers on the uh, sides of Autzen Stadium to hold extra fans and extra seating uh, and give them a viewing next to the press boxes. It was just something incredible, but you could also tell the Pac-12 was not prepared for how cold it was going to be. The stage that they were presenting the championship on with cleats was almost a death trap for about 105 football players. Uh, I remember there there's some great pictures of me celebrating on there. But, but you know, most of it is me standing in place because if you were to move at all, it was like you were going to slip off, probably break your tailbone, maybe take some fans out on the way. But, uh, you know, they were handing out roses, so I was good taking my rose, standing there, holding it up high and proud. Well, I don't doubt that at all, Nick. I would have been proud, too. Oregon Ducks this year, they should definitely be proud. The team is going to their third Pac-12 championship game, the first one, the one you mentioned against UCLA. 
the second one in blowout fashion, avenging a loss from earlier in the season against Arizona to get into the inaugural college football playoff. Oregon right now, they don't necessarily have that on the line after the loss at Arizona State, but a win on Friday is a door that opens to the granddaddy of them all. This team has so much to fight for, and I definitely think that we'll see them play that way on Friday. Yeah, I think a lot of Duck fans were a little bit disappointed with the Oregon State outcome, but I don't think it's anything to really think that's going to carry over necessarily into this game. Uh, We understand the conditions might be a little bit sloppy down there in Santa Clara. I think that might play into the Ducks' favor here. Uh, we, we went live before the game and had some predictions uh, for Oregon State that were pretty off, so I'm not going to make any specific score predictions this week. But the way I feel about this game coming into it uh, with my analysis is I really think Oregon is more prepared to play a tough, close football game that's going to be physical and, and two teams trying to wear each other down which both these teams are going to try and do but they also both have the ability to spread out and, and hit you with dynamic offenses and playmakers at the quarterback and running back positions Oregon has been in a lot of tough close games where they've pulled through at the end and just because of their physical nature uh, some of that fourth quarter conditioning program we see beginning to, to, to take place in, the, in these players and the development of them. And also, I think that Utah, when they've even been tested against USC in that one loss, you you could tell if you could just get a couple of shots on their quarterback or running back. Uh, I'm not saying take anyone out of the game, but I think once you hit a team like Utah in the mouth, uh, having not necessarily played anyone in their non-conference schedule, you don't know how they're going to respond. And I think Oregon's going to come out with just a physicality that they haven't seen this year. And uh, without predicting a score, I've got Oregon by 10. And I will definitely get into my prediction when we are live before the game, when I'm able to talk to the people and have thought about this game a little bit more. What I will say is Utah's lost this season. It came to USC and USC was successful and they aired it out. I think Oregon will be the first team since USC that Utah has faced that has the same ability to air it out when they want to. And I think that will definitely work in the Ducks' favor. For me, it just comes down to whether or not Justin Herbert can stay comfortable in this game. Utah has a heck of a defensive line, and it would not surprise me at all if they did everything they could to make him feel uncomfortable down in Santa Clara. Yeah, the matchup up front is going to be very important for both teams in this game, Sam. Uh, Here is going to be the Ducks' best test up front uh, for the offensive line since Auburn and and we're going to see just how much they've developed this year one of the things we saw in the Oregon State game right away is again Throckmorton had to go back at center if we can get Jake Hansen back I'll feel a lot more confident in my prediction I'll give you a much more solid score definition uh, when we get live to game time I 100% agree with you there, Nick. Hanson being back will be important. You're a former offensive lineman. You know exactly how important that connection is, not just with the center and the quarterback, but with the rest of the line, with the whole offense. I think that we're lucky enough today to be able to speak with somebody for quite a while, I have a feeling, that we'll also be able to talk about that kind of connection. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, We will have to ask him 
what it was like, you know, and where he was at during that inaugural Pac-12 championship game in 2011. But first, getting to our great Twitter followers, we asked you guys, first and foremost, we ran a poll uh, if you guys wanted to see another episode at Once a Duck on Twitter. And uh, the overwhelming consensus is, of course, you wanted an episode delivered a week early. So we're bringing it to you right now. Uh, You want it, you got it. Exactly, Sam, because, you know, Once a Duck is a show of the people, and that's why we also asked you to give your favorite Pac-12 championship memories. At Savory Mike said, I was there witnessing the ass-kicking of UCLA in the freezing cold while being completely surrounded by Dr. Pepper advertising. It was literally everywhere. Yeah, there, like I was saying, not just, you know, the Pac-12 logo, UCLA, but yeah, Dr. Pepper. I remember uh, that was probably when the Larry Culpepper ads were just really starting to get popular. Get and Dr. Annoying. Pepper here? Regular listener of the show at uh, BYoung4282 said, unfortunately at home, I haven't made it to many games at all. Would love to be able to go more. Well, you know what? Come out, not just for uh, Ducks football, but make it out basketball season. You've got to come out more, Bryce. Another good one. One of the responses to the initial to the initial tweet, what was happening? What were you doing? A very special friend of both of ours, at Rick Nodgers, ran from the student section onto the field, got separated from all my friends, and wandered back and forth across the field like three times, every time running into Alejandro Maldonado. Nick, back in his University of Oregon heyday, giving us his experiences from that student section, a place that uh, at this point I know pretty well, so I got to give him the shout out there. At GTO Sports 247, Gary Thompson said, In Autzen, what was weird is we didn't get our regular seats due to the Pac-12, so we had to sit somewhere different. Love Chip's speech at the end about drinking Dr. Pepper and shipping via UPS. Yeah, you know, Chip was always one of those people who was insightful but would take everything around him and use it uh, as motivation. And we've got someone that not only was on that inaugural Pac-12 championship team, but someone that took Coach Kelly's life lessons to heart with us. Okay, so I want to talk to Mr. Mark Asper. Mark Asper, thanks for joining us. No problem. Thanks for having me on. We wanted to have someone from that inaugural Pac-12 championship because we have this very special episode. We're rushing a week early. We wanted to get it in before the game. And you know what? We've been asking everyone on Twitter. We know you don't have Twitter. What they were doing and where they were on that day. And for you, I've got to ask a very, very specific question. We're on the backside. Running inside zone on a 4-3. We have a three technique on the backside, and the backside backers hanging. What are, What's the call? Gut. <laughs> oh, man. Perfect. Yes, that is the correct answer. Of course, all these years, the guy standing right next to me remember, remembers the exact call we would run in Chip Kelly's offense. No, uh, no, Mark. The real question is for people there that, that don't understand what we're talking about at all. What was that day like for you winning the very first Pac-12 championship conference game? You know, it was it was crazy because, you know, we had done we had done senior day, you know, kind of the, the the week previous in the Civil War. And so it was like, all right, goodbye, Autzen Stadium. Goodbye, everybody. Oh, hold up. Back again one more time. Roll it back. And, uh, you know, I've seen other people comment on Facebook about, you know, some of their memories from the Pac-12 championship day where they said it didn't feel 
like Autzen Stadium. And it was weird to have the, the takeover. Like it was it was cool to have the Pac twelve there and Fox Sports, you know, T V crew and everything and the but to have it everything plastered over, everywhere where it said Oregon, they slapped a big Pac twelve over it and every and they had to you know, they put up UCLA stuff as well to kind of make it not seem completely biased, but at the same time, it was like, no, this is obviously our home field. So it was, it was weird. It was like a, a surreal thing. You know, we'd never done that before. The two previous years, we'd just been that. You know, we'd been the outright Pac-10 champ, and so there was no, there was no ta-da, there was no championship game, no one more time to prove yourself or do anything. And so it was weird, and then it felt kind of like a bowl game, but we didn't have the month off. We didn't have the <laughs> the separation it was at home i remember the biggest concern was the the pyrotechnics they had set up these like flamethrowers coming out of the tunnel for us to run <laughs> run onto the field on with and they didn't like give us any like heads up i didn't know those were there i don't know if you paid attention in, in a meeting no i remember I that was that i was i was very nervous once those came on it was a shock yeah, I didn't. I didn't didn't know they were there. So we're like running out, doing our thing, and you know, I I would always tend to as we came out through the tunnel. I'm not a, I'm not like the, the them D boys. I didn't sprint the whole length of the field and throw my hands up for the crowd and all that stuff. I like my thing was to get onto the field and then make a quick left to get to the sideline, and so. <laughs> I'm heading through the tunnel and I'm starting to make my left and those flamethrowers, they, they fire. And I was like, holy cow. That was like hot. It was like legit. Like they should have given us a heads up or something. Especially compared to as cold as it was. That was dangerous. Yeah, it was. And it, yeah, it was, you know, the latest, you know, it was what, December or end of yeah. November that we were playing in. So, yeah, it was nice and pretty chilly night. So it would have, you'd think it'd be a, a welcome thing to have a nice burst of fire but at the same time it was that was the biggest (laughs) shock of the of the whole production so speaking of unique journeys uh you know that season was an amazing one but you've had an even more amazing one the way you came to oregon you were only a class older than me in terms of football graduation but you were already three years older than me in terms of age and everyone else in your class uh what was that like coming into oregon football at a completely different stage and what was your experience coming in so yeah i was yeah i was part of i graduated high school in 2004 and i deferred my scholarship to go on a, a mission for the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints and i went to uh, barcelona and so my recruiting class was you know i uh when when people get start to debate about recruiting classes and 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 which one which one is the best i can kind of cheat i can claim two recruiting classes i can (laughs) i can claim the 04 class or the 07 class which were both both really really good classes but yeah the guys that were in my recruiting class originally were mark lewis and jeff kendall and jeff schwartz and max unger uh and jacob hucko and me and you know i deferred and went away so when i came back unger was already established Lewis was established. Kendall was a, a solid rotational guy. So was Hucko. Uh, Schwartz had been starting for a couple of years, <laughs> and so here I come back into the into the mix, and they're like, "Oh yeah, yeah, we remember you. Yeah, you were all like the media guys and like all this stuff. But yeah, you were gone. All right, cool. Welcome back." But I was so out of football shape; it was bad. I remember that first spring, I t- I pulled both of my hamstrings within 
within that first month back trying to get back into shape and and I had a, a heart to heart with uh, with Coach Bellotti and Coach Wood at one point where they're like, you know, I don't know if this is going to work out for you because you're <laughs> really not in great football shape. And so they just, you know, they were kind of just sending the message to say, take take the off season very serious and you know work your best work your hardest to get back in shape and so i gave myself to the guru jim radcliffe i said i am clay mold me (laughs) and whatever he said i did man and so it's tremendous uh credit due to him for what he did to help me get back into into shape and into football because another major disadvantage that i discovered was that idaho Southeast Idaho football was way behind the times. I remember sitting in a meeting and Coach Wood is like, you know, that whole first spring, he would kept saying, all right, we got a three technique, we got a one technique, or we got a six technique and a, and a nine, or those guys only lined up in a six, and, and all of this defensive terminology. <laughs> and I just, one day I had to go to him and be like, uh, hey, Coach, when you say a three technique, what what do you mean? <laughs> Oh man! And just the look on his face of just complete shock. Like Zoom recruited you. What kind of backwoods bumpkin doesn't know what a a three technique is? And you know, I remember you as a freshman. I remember when you came into that those summer workouts. The amount of football knowledge that you had compared to what I had when I came in, I was blown away. You knew so much more than I did. I was like, oh yeah. Now we're. This is what Coach Wood must have been expecting when. <laughs> When he saw me and was talking to me about football, I was like, uh, when you say middle linebacker, do you mean the guy in the middle or <laughs> the one that's designated the middle? Mark, if you don't mind, I've got a question kind of about the fact that you were in a different stage of life than a lot of the players that you were playing with. A story that I had heard for a long time was that during a – very difficult game down in Berkeley in 2010. Coach Kelly gave a inspirational speech that pretty much accumulated, accumulated to being, this will be a drive you will someday tell your kids about before turning to you and saying, or just tell them when you get home. Number one, <laughs> is that story true? And number two, what was having that kind of dual life of being a college football player as well as a family man when you got home like? Story is true. Yeah, that was the... Um the if you know if if Oregon was ever to have like a uh, a coined or just a a play that goes completely or a series or a drive goes unrecognized for what significance yeah that that one down in in Cal where we were undefeated to that point we weren't producing on offense that game like we had been for the majority of the season and. It was, yeah, like, do you remember how many, how much time was on the clock, Nick? It was like eight minutes. It would, I don't know. It was almost 10, I feel like. The drive it was would, around it, 9.30, if I'm correct, if I believe, yeah, if I remember correctly. It was, it was, yeah. yeah, we we had to run the ball for almost 10 minutes to grind that clock down. Yeah, and that was one of the things that I loved about Chip, especially, so Chip and I got to Oregon at like the same time. He His first spring was my first spring. So he came in as the offensive coordinator, and I was my first spring there, Um Myself and Drew Davis came in as early enrollees in the spring of 07. And so I got to experience offensive coordinator chip and offensive coordinator coordinator chip was fun, man. He, (laughs) he was 
smooth and confident, and he just breathes that into everybody in the room, like, this is what we're going to do, this is how we're going to do it. You'd get little glimpses of offensive coordinator Chip on our Friday night meetings when he would, you know, when the lights would go down and he'd pull up game tape of the opponent and talk about things that other people had done that had been successful against our opponent, and he'd say, this is what we're going to do, but we're going to do it our way, so it's going to be better and faster and more explosive. You'd get a little piece of that offensive coordinator chip again, and it was it was fun. It fired you up. And that drive, in that moment, that's what that was. It was offensive coordinator chip, you know, flipping the headset back and, you know, talking to the guys in the huddle like, hey, this is what we're going to do, and it's going to be epic, and it's going to live on forever. <laughs> you're gonna tell your kids about it, and then he stopped and looked at me and was like, "Or you can tell them about it tonight." <laughs> <laughs> and we went out there and we just, yeah, we just munched up the clock for the next ten minutes, converted each, you know, each time we needed to, you know, epic play after epic play, and then kneeled the ball down at time expiring, first and goal or whatever, you know, in scoring distance. We could have punched it in, but instead we're just like, "Nope, we're just gonna take a knee." And, and let you guys face the music like true like victory formation like we could win with a score and then let you guys fizzle out with the ball but we're like no we're not giving it back we're just taking this home with us so <laughs> it was awesome so going back to your family and, and what it was like you know being an older guy while while college kids like me 19 years old are coming in trying to learn and go to classes and spend at nights with social time you're at home you know building your family and you know completely spending your time differently and still being able to manage daily life as a football player and a student just like everyone else like everyone on our team all looked up to you for it like how do you do it uh what was that like for you it was not easy, but at the same time, you know, credit to my wife, Michelle. She um, <laughs> she did a lot of heavy lifting, too, made it easy, easier so I could do the things I needed to do. Um, so we were apartment managers for Umbrella Properties uh, there in Eugene, and uh, we managed the Woodland Creek Apartments way out on at the end of West 11th. And so, and it was a, it was a pretty big complex, but, you know, we did that so that we could uh, get free rent because um, my wife was going to school at Lane Community College. And then uh, once we started having, uh, once we had our daughter, Michaela, she, uh, <laughs> she uh, went full-time uh, mom mode and, you know, my, my scholarship and my stipend was, you know, was, was, was spreading, was getting spread over multiple mouths at that point and you know side note so whenever whenever guys whenever they get too gripey about student athletes not having enough money I always, i'm always like oh pipe down i i ran a household on my <laughs> on my on my stipend you could you could make ends meet but and so she helped out a whole lot you know she helped made it possible that we could run the apartments so we could you know live rent free take care of our daughter. And then when I'd come home and, you know, needed to do schoolwork or stuff like that, she would always be very supportive and helpful. And I, I do laugh now. Um, like when we get together for like the alumni golf tournament or get togethers or whatever guys that are now starting to have kids, 
uh, I was just talking to uh, Blake Thompson about that. He's like, dude, how did you have kids and play football? Like, he's like, I am so tired every day. <laughs> and and I equated it to, well, you know, remember I was having kids. When you're in college, when you're in your early 20s, man, you can go out. You know, I, I said to to Blake, you would go out and you'd party all night and then show up to practice or show up to work out. You'd be like, no problem. Three hours of sleep, no problem. You know, and you'd be able to bang out a workout. It was no big deal. I said, I had that, that young man's blood running through my veins that I could stay up all night with a kid <laughs> and then roll into a 6 a.m. workout and not phase you. It's a young man's game. I tell people that are having kids late, I'm like, oh, man, I could not be a parent <laughs> and a, at an advanced age. That that is awesome, uh, and, and so inspiring to hear for for those guys out there that do have kids now. I know it's funny. We had a you know Jeremiah Johnson on, and it was hilarious hearing him have to go upstairs when uh, when he was gonna sing the OSU our pants are off to you song because I uh, didn't want the kiddos to hear. Yeah. It was one of those things that that takes you back yeah. and reminds you just how old we're all getting. Yeah, and it's and it's cool to see guys you know that get into that stage of life. Um, I did have moments like when we would have our uh, like life quality, life, not life quality, life skills classes that James Harris would put on for the team, like, you know, where they'd have, you know, police officers come in or doctors come in or lawyers come in and, you know, or reporters and they'd come in and they'd talk to you about, you know, life skills and stuff like that. There was more than once where I felt completely uninterested in the message like this has nothing to do with me what am i doing here i'm you know my wife is at home with our kids screaming and crying she hasn't seen me all day because i've been at practice and 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 school and now i got to come back here for and listen for an hour about not kissing in the club or doing something stupid like that and i'm like what why do i have to be here and i i voiced that opinion to james one time and James and Chip, you know, they said to me, hey, you know, by you being here, a guy who doesn't need to hear this necessarily, who's not in that stage of life, having you here to hear that message validates it to those other guys that, hey, this is important, important enough that everybody needs to be here, even the guys that don't need to hear it. And so I, I took it more like, okay, need to be here, need to be interested, need to be engaged in these conversations, because there might be somebody in the room that actually needs this information, and hopefully they'll... You know, the, the guys that need to hear it will will hear the message. Well, Mark, two points. Uh, one, even you need to hear, uh, you can't be kissing in the club. Everybody, that's a ground True. rule. You need to hear that. And, and number two, I, I think the biggest takeaway I have from hearing that is uh, it's awesome that you understood that because we all looked at you the same way, like, why does Asper have to be here? But I had a personal sit-down interview with Chip, and I'll remember completely unprompted, he used you in a, as an example of, of the Oregon way and what it was like to be a man of Oregon. And you you were such a role model in, in even just the ways of all those principles that, that were trying to guide us, whether they applied to you generally or not. You embodied all of them. Oh, you're going to make me blush. <laughs> well, that was – I'm flattered to hear that. And, you know, I – enjoyed my time at Oregon more than anything. When when people ask about my football career and, and the time that I got to spend in the NFL, people will always ask, well, what was your favorite team? And my first response is always Oregon. And they say, oh, no, no, no. Like, what was your favorite pro team? And then I'll, I'll have to qualify one of the teams I played for. But yeah, my, the, the time at Oregon and what we had was, and the, the culture that Chip created, the environment in college football and the landscape and what was going on that allowed us to be 
you know, so dynamic and 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 uh, explosive and and climbed to national recognition and stuff. Yeah, it's it's something that's totally unique. That you know, whenever I see it, anybody from that old old regime, whether it's a trainer, a coach, uh, fellow players, that's <laughs> reporters. That's all we that's all we talk about is how how cool that was and how unique it was that we had so many guys all bought into like that single focus that like you said that that Oregon way of how to do things and it was yeah totally special. Mark you mentioned it a little bit right there but if you could kind of talk to us a little bit about the uh, the NFL career and kind of being a journeyman lineman and what that lifestyle was like. (laughs) So um, I tell those that care to know that hopefully one day there is a jeopardy question in my honor that says something to the effect of this is the only player who uh, has snapped a ball to Peyton Manning, Eli Manning, and Tom Brady, because that behind belongs to who is Mark Asper. <laughs> so I, uh, I got drafted by the Buffalo Bills uh, in the sixth round, and it was kind of a crazy deal where on the phone call with the, with the GM, he was like, hey, uh, we're going to draft you to play center. And I was like, immediately... I felt like, are you confused with who you drafted? Because I have not played center, <laughs> except for the I played in this uh, this you know. Unfortunately, you know, it was kind of a ragtag of an all star game after I graduated. It was called the the Battle for the Rock. It was in Little Rock, Arkansas. It used to be Texas versus the Nation, and then the rights got bought out by. This Little Rock outfit, and so the game was in Little Rock. It was it was rough, pretty poorly ran. And the first day we were there, the offensive line coach said, "Well, the guy that we the two guys that we invited that played center both opted out. So who wants to learn to play center?" <laughs> and I was like, "Well, my mentality was the more you do, the more you can do, the more valuable you make yourself." So I said, "Sure, I'll play center." So that week. I, you know, I spent my time trying to learn to snap and, and not have it spray all over the field and do, you know, under center snaps and all that stuff and, you know, snap and take a step and all the things that a center has to worry about. Um, and then that one week and that one game, it, that, you know, it added onto my resume where I could play center. So they said, Hey, we're going to have you play center. I was like, okay, cool. So I spent training camp and fall camp that year playing center and guard mostly that made me very versatile but very expendable as well (laughs) where then I was a a jack of all trades and a master of none so the Bills ended up releasing me at the end of training camp I got picked up by the Vikings same deal they liked that I could play all all three positions so I was a backup offensive lineman with uh, the Vikings and then I got released and picked up by the Jaguars and then I got released and picked up by the Bills again. And then under a new management, Doug Marone was the head coach then. And then I got released and picked up by the New York Giants. And then by the Denver Broncos. And then by the Miami Dolphins. <laughs> and then finally by the New England Patriots. And each stop, I would, I'd play something different. And I'd play center, I'd play guard, I'd play tackle, just kind of as needed, whatever, whatever they needed. And so... It was good to be so diverse, but I, I do remember I, I said that comment that I said earlier where I, I thought, you know, the more you can do, the more valuable you were. But 
uh, Eugene Monroe, the Pro Bowl left tackle for the Jaguars. I was out out of practice one day and I was I was messing around with long snapping and he's like, Asper, what are you doing? And I was like, Well, I'm trying to learn to long snap, you know, just in case, you know, the more you can do, the more valuable you are. And he's like, Nah, the more you can do, the less you are getting paid because you're doing more work and getting paid the same. He's like, You need to just do one thing and do it really, really well, like me. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, thanks, Eugene. I'll uh I'll work on that. I'll I'll try to become more athletic and have longer arms and a quicker first step. Yep. That'll, that'll make me more valuable like you. <laughs> I was like, I'm the try hard white guy. I need to try to increase my things I can do to help me stick on as long as I could. So I made it uh, four years and played on eight different teams. If you count the bills twice. Following up with that, you mentioned the type of very talented people that you were able to play with. What were some of the lessons, either in football or life, you were able to take away from some of the people that are looked at among football fans as some of the best to ever do it? Yeah, I got to play with uh, a lot of future Hall of Famers and um, coaches and players. Um, I remember one of the most kind of old school guys was uh, Coach Coughlin for the Giants, where I learned all about, and, and it was cool because you would see you would see things that had trickled down to other teams or things that even trickled down into college that you knew must have come from, from this guy. So Coach Coughlin, he had, he had Coughlin time, which is very similar to the Bill Bowerman rule where if you're not early to a meeting, you're late to the meeting. And so everything in the building ran on Coughlin time. <laughs> if he decided that the meeting, even if the meeting was posted to start at 9, if he showed up and decided to start the meeting at 8.55, if you weren't in there and in your seat, you were late. He was the deciding factor of when things got rolling. And so, and he would, uh, Coach Bilotti used to, he would have like clippings and like stories on the pregame where he'd like talk, you know, show uh, guys that were team players or put the team first in different walks of life. And Coach Coughlin did that, you know, every week in our, our, our weekly meeting he'd to start the week out in preparation for an opponent. He'd get up there and talk about this guy put the team first. This guy was a soldier and put the team first. This guy was a, you know, a, a doctor and he put the, the patient first. These guys that were selfless and put others before themselves and, you know, kind of establishing that culture about um, being, um, putting other people first. I remember coach, Leslie Frazier, he was the head coach of Minnesota, and he was from the Tony Dungy coaching tree. And so he had kind of that same, that same mentality about being a, a service-oriented leader, doing things for other people, and, and things would come back around to you. Something that really impressed me when I was with the, uh, the, the Patriots, my first, uh, first day I got there, when you're the low man on the totem pole, you have to go to the the early morning lifting session. There were always two lifting sessions during the, during the week. The early morning one was for rookies and new guys. And then there was a session kind of after lunch, a lifting session that was for veterans. So I was there, you know, 6 a.m., fresh, fresh off the plane, working out and doing my thing. And Coach Belichick and uh, Mr. Kraft were both in there, you know, working out. And I saw them, you know, obviously I knew who they were. And I was just doing my thing and they both stopped their workout and came over and said, Hey Mark, glad to have you here. Great to have you 
how's, how's the wife? How's the family? You know, they knew stuff about me <laughs> and I was blown away. Like, Hey, they're great. Thanks for asking. It's a privilege to be here. You know, hopefully I'll work hard to do this. And they're like, yeah, we like this about you. We like this about you. Just that level of, you know, I, I tell people that the Patriots win all the time for a reason. They're really well run. They're really well, really well organized. And, you know, they, they live what they preach where here the head coach and the owner knew this dude that they had just brought on from, you know, I wasn't even on somebody else's team. I'd been sitting in the, the waiver wire for, as a free agent for like a month before they brought me in. And they knew, you know, everything about me and they'd done their homework and they knew, <laughs> they knew stuff. Anyway, so that was just very impressive to me where if you're going to be the best, you know, you got to do, do what you, you know, walk the walk and talk the talk and put in the time and effort and that everybody is important in the room, you know, and give, if you want somebody to, and that, you know, then made me feel valued as an individual to where I wanted to, you know, work hard for those guys and play hard for those guys because I knew they knew who I was. I wasn't just a number on the roster or a practice fodder body that was just being thrown out there for the defense to, you know, take their reps against. I was, you know, made me feel like an individual that they, that they cared about. And, and with such a, a diverse, you know, record of teams you played for, if you were to just pick, you know, a couple of the best guys you got to either line up across from or, you know, next to when you were in the league and in your career, and then, uh, you know, a, a single special moment that you remember that you just went, wow, like that, that is a different level of human. <laughs> so, um, my longest my longest day in the office i call it it was it started out as a really cool moment so i was with i was with the broncos and the defensive ends that they had were von miller and demarcus ware and both decent. i was yeah <laughs> i guess you maybe you've heard of them they've, they've done a few things in their careers and we went to one-on-one pass rush uh it was a full pad practice day. So we went to one-on-one pass rush and uh, the starting right tackle uh, was like, yo, Asper, I need to tie my shoe, take my rep. And I was like, all right, cool. So I get in there and there's Miller. And I was like, it's kind of like a, like a, like a goalkeeper in uh, soccer where I was just, I'm, you know, doing a, a penalty kick. I was like, he's got all these different tricks. I'm going to set full, I'm going to sell out for this and hope he does it so that I <laughs> so that I catch him. So I banked on him you know, running up and then cutting back inside. So I, I set as hard as I could, as fast as I could, three steps, and then just planted and came back in, and he, and he did just what I had hoped. So he ran upfield. He went to spin back in, and as he spun, I caught him where, you know, on his back. I locked him up, picked him up, and drove him, you know, back across the line. And I was like, all right, woo Yes, right. <laughs> and, you know, everybody's like, all right, yeah, way to go, Asper, good job, blah, blah. So then the right guard takes his rep, center takes his, his rep, left guard takes his rep. Left tackle is like, yo, Asper, jump in here. And I was like, ah, don't want to push my luck. I had a good rep, but all right, let's do this. So I go in there, left tackle, and it's DeMarcus' turn. And same deal. I was like, ah, all these things he can do. I'm just going to bank on him doing a one-arm, long-arm 
kind of uh, bull rush. So I set, and as soon as he, you know, he goes and he goes to throw his arm into my chest to do the, you know, press and lean, and I just two-hand chopped him right at the elbow, boom. And he had enough weight going forward, and I, you know, I, I, I jumped both of my feet back as I chopped. So he just went face first, oof, down into the ground. And I, you know, took the knee, touched him on the back, like, oh, you're down. Same deal. And then, and then, and then it was like, all right, ask for woo yeah, baby. <laughs> Except the defensive line coach. So I've been there probably two weeks at this point. Defensive line coach was like, you blankety blanking blank blank, we paying you millions of dollars. We paying you millions of dollars. And this guy, I was on practice squad, and this guy who we're paying nothing comes in here and puts you two in the dirt. Blankety blank blank blank. So the rest of practice, when we went to team drills and when we went to third down and when we went to two minute drill where we're driving, you know, where the whole offense is driving the length of the field, I got every tricky ISO game where I got picked, I got blindsided, I got their Super Bowl Sunday moves, baby. I got lit up, I got bull rushed, I got the whole package just to like remind me, yo, bro. Good job in pass one-on-one pass rush, but we get we have our pictures on the front of video games, <laughs> and I was like, yes, 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 Mr. Miller, I, I I recognize your superiority both in athleticism and charisma. Please don't. Uh, I have I have a family. <laughs> don't don't uh, don't please don't do that again. And but afterward, you know, still that's a great thing about football. The day was done. We're back in the locker room. They both came up, you know, they, you know. They gave me the fist bump. They're like, yeah, good job, man. Thanks, you know, you made us better today. And I was like, yeah, just doing what I can. (laughs) And speaking of that special connection in football, uh, you know, I talked at one time on our podcast previously about a story about us in Arizona, but I was really trying to talk about that connection, especially on offensive line that people have to have when you play right next to each other, have to see and understand things at a moment's notice and and be able to collaborate uh, together on on not just a, a, a game day basis, but throughout an entire season and career. I don't think there's a story that defines that and, and how lasting that is even more than I think something you'll remember about a year ago taking place where the Dan Patrick show was involved. Uh, yeah. Mark, could, could you take us through what you remember of, of that and uh, why we have that kind of connection? Yeah. So it was crazy. I, I'm a regular listener to the Dan Patrick show. I, I caught on to it when I was in college and I like what they do, but I never called into the show. There's been moments where he's gone on, you know, rants or, or made comments about things that I felt like, oh, no, Dan's wrong. I, I should call in and set him straight. Or, oh, my experience would probably add something to this conversation, but never mind. But he was talking about, I think he was talking about, it was about the, the violence inherent in football and, you know, why does the game have to be so violent and a coach or something had given an interview and, you know, related it to the armed forces, which is something that Chip had done at the University of Oregon, which is what brought about like the spring game and the, you know, the salute to veterans and all of those things. Not in that what we do is anything compared to what they do, but it was about we should be grateful that we're able to play this game because of the sacrifice of soldiers. And <laughs> I, so I, so he was going on about this, about how the armed forces and what they do 
has nothing to do with football and that you know the skills that we learn and that people learn in football are not transferable at all into the armed services is what what I took away from what he was saying and my dad was in the army I have uncles that were in the, uh, an uncle that was in the navy my grandpa was in the navy in World War II I have a brother-in-law who's in the army who was at one of our spring games where we did the salute to the to soldiers and I got to give him my game jersey and he gave me the you know the freedom coin that they carry and stuff so I was I was all riled up I'm like that's it Dan Patrick's going to get a piece of my mind. Grab my phone, call him up. Yeah, what's up? All right, you're on hold. I'm on hold. <laughs> and all right, and we're talking to Nick from Oregon. Nick, go ahead. And I was like, oh, I know a Nick. Oh, or did you say you were from Washington? I don't remember. But I was like, oh, yeah, I know a Nick from Washington. And it was you. And you started talking about your experience at Oregon and the connection and Chip Kelly and the servicemen and all this stuff. And I was like, no way. And then they click over to me and they're like, oh, and we're talking to uh, Mark from Washington because I'm living, I'm living in Washington. And I was just like, I was like dumbfounded. I was like, <laughs> I like, I don't even know if I have anything to say. I wanted to just be like, yeah, what Nick said and drop, you know, <laughs> and drop the mic. But and then I, I, I went on, I, I tried to expound on some of what you had said as well, but it was like, and then immediately we get off the phone and you like texted me and you're like, Mark from Washington. And I was like, Nick from Oregon. <laughs> well, and what really gave it away was that we were both first time callers. We had both done it, but we both gave height weight. That was what confirmed it. There weren't too many other, <laughs> other guys yeah. that were good. Uh, How six, many five, others? Six, five, two to 90. Ding! All right. Who? <laughs> and, and you know what? We we both had slightly different takes, but it's just like the first question I asked you. You know, you called a gut. I might have seen a swoop. You know, but we were both going to handle the backside three stack. <laughs> One way or another, that guy was getting taken care of. That's right. But it was just, yeah, it blew me away that I'd never called in, and the one time I decided to call in, a dude who had the you know very similar experience <laughs> called in, and I was like, wow, that's brainwashing or conditioning or living living on the same wavelength for too long man <laughs> yeah for sure you talk about mark the uh the lesson that you were able to take away from what chip was saying my question to you is what is the biggest lesson you would say in life that you've been able to take away from your football career high school college pro or all of it you know there's lots of i i tell people that you know, football is one of the greatest team sports ever invented. I, I steal that from, from Chip in that he said that football, you get you get out of football whatever you put into it. And, you know, same thing with life because football football exposes the pretender. It exposes the, uh, the liar. If you say, yeah, coach, I studied my playbook. When the lights come on and it's Saturday night and you got the, you know, the crowd going – and the game is on the line, it exposes you. You either did or you didn't. You either rise to the occasion or it passes you by. And you get out of it exactly what you put into it. If you don't go to the workouts, if you don't put in the time, if you don't eat right, if you don't get your sleep, if you don't do those things, football will eat you up and spit you out. Also, there's a, you know, it's kind of, it's looked at as a, as a, as a positive thing in that a lot of teams, they, they live by the mantra, next man up. Yeah, that's a positive idea that the team will always be good. There's always be a next man up. But like in the NFL, next man up means you're out of a job. 
So if you want to keep your job, if you want to be the best, football, you get out of it exactly what you put into it. If you aren't doing what you're supposed to do, there's thousands of people that want to do what you're doing. And so if you're not doing it to the best of your ability, it's gonna, the game's going to expose you and you're going to be out. You're going to be gone pretty quick. The saying around the NFL is that NFL stands for not for long because <laughs> average career is a little less than three years. I was lucky to squeak out four, but, you know, the 20-year the guy is a complete unicorn. The 10-year guy is even an anomaly, especially at, like, offensive line play. And so taking that away from football into life, you get out of life exactly what you put into it, and life will expose you. If you kind of give half effort through school or through your marriage or through your job, you'll get exposed eventually. and You won't have a job. Or you won't have a marriage anymore. Or, you, you know, you'll end up not living the life you think you deserve. And it's all about, you know, you have to put in that effort. You have to do the little things in order to get out what you want from it. And so I, I think that's the biggest one that uh, Chip kind of a lot of things kind of revolved around that message where if you want to be you want to get to where you want to be you have to do the things to get there and then he would tie in into that you know winning the day the big picture is this but you got to win an individual day and within that day he then break it down into fast hard and finish in everything that you do whether it's school or your workouts or football or your social life tie those things into it and create habits and structure and discipline so that you would get to where you wanted to go. Don't don't focus on where you want to go too much, but also don't forget where you want to go and then do the little things and you'll get out of it what you want. It's crazy to talk about to people that um, <laughs> that haven't played football because a lot of things that like, you know, like Nick and I are, are talking about, when you're on the same wavelength as dudes that are that are in it and living it all the time, you know, when you talk to somebody who hasn't been doing it for a while, sometimes they don't. <laughs> they don't really get what you mean. And you're like, you know, you gotta, you know, you gotta, gotta get your hips into it. And they're like, why do I got to get my hips into it? And you're like, Oh, never mind. You don't understand. But that, that lifestyle of living a certain way. And when you get used to doing that, that's part of what made that, you know, Chip Kelly era so special was we had so many guys buy into that, into doing the little things and putting into football, what they wanted to get out of football. I remember when I was a freshman, summer workouts were kind of a joke and they were very optional. And a lot of, there were a lot of exercise bikes out there and a lot of veteran guys riding the bikes instead of doing the sprints and the stuff that sucked versus our sophomore year, junior year, senior year summers. It was, or especially my junior year and senior year summers, it was everybody was there. Everybody was doing the workout. Everybody was, everybody had bought into the, if we want to get out of this, what we want, we got to put, we got to go all in. There's no, you know, we're not talented enough to, (laughs) to try to, you know, try to lie or, or cheat our way into something special here. I've got one more for you, Mark. It's such an important lesson that you just spoke of. And it's one that I think has definitely been apparent in how the University of Oregon has ascended into a true college football power. Before my last question, I'm going to preface it with another one. When was the last time you were able to be in Eugene or at an Oregon football game? I went to the the alumni game uh, this year. Washington yeah. State? Cal, okay, Cal. Nope. It was, yep. It was, it was Cal. Yeah, because I, uh, I remember texting Coach Greatwood. <laughs> and saying, "Hey, you're gonna you're gonna come up and get a plate of barbecue in your your cow gear." 
And he texted back, man, probably not a good idea. (laughs) Well, then following up with that, you've seen it firsthand even this season, just a month or so ago. Since the first time you were recruited, back when you were a high schooler, to now, in that 15-year time span, what have you seen from Eugene as well as the University of Oregon as a football program, as an athletic program, and as a school? How have you seen that rise, and how have you seen some of the lessons that you've taken away from your time here being applied toward everything else? So... You know, it's something that I've I've heard other guys talk about. That Oregon went from a, kind of a, a a niche, cool, oh Nike, uh, you know, quirky, oh yeah, the Ducks type, you know, West Coast only thing to where we became, yeah, we became we became national, we became uh, recognized like a as a as a serious contender to where I remember, you know, lots of times. Being on the East Coast, most of my NFL career was spent on the East Coast, and I would see dudes, you know, I'd see kids out running around, you know, and you'd go to the mall, you'd go, you know, to a game or something, and you'd see people in Oregon gear. You'd see the O, and you'd see people do that, and you're like, yo, what's up? I'm, you know, I'm from Oregon, go Ducks. The the East Coasters, they didn't have the, they didn't have the snap with the go Ducks, especially around Eugene, and, you know, sometimes in, even in Washington, I'll get a you know, you'll get that quick snap back where you you holler at somebody go ducks and they'll give you a go ducks real real quick back. <laughs> then these go duck fans uh, they're not they're not hip to that so I'd be like hey man yeah go ducks and they'd uh, yeah Oregon yeah <laughs> and I'd be like no you're supposed to say go ducks you get a go ducks you go go ducks oh okay yeah go ducks so it's the that uh, proliferation of the of the duck brand and the message has has been awesome. And then I had the chance to talk to uh, Rob Mullins the other day. Um, when I went to practice, he was there and I was talking to him because he, he took over for Coach Bellotti, who was the acting AD, who took over from Pat Kilkenny when I, when I started there. And, and I was talking to him about, you know, the ascension of Oregon as a, na- as a national brand and, and how track, our women and men's track and field team has always been good. But in the last 15 years, we've become the Pac-12 powerhouse. We've become the national champion for indoor and outdoor, you know, and our cross-country team, and then our men's and women's basketball programs, and our softball team, and and even our volleyball team has had some good runs in there. And just, you know, that the football program and how it's expanded and what it's done, I'm biased, obviously. I I accredit it to, you know, the football uh, team just because of, the coverage and the notoriety that football gets in the United States and how that helped expand that, that brand to where we got more talented, more talent coming from Texas and Florida and the Midwest. We got guys coming from there and girls coming from there to want to be a part of Oregon that we maybe wouldn't have used to have gotten without that exposure. I got my master's degree at the university of Oregon as well. And one of my projects, I did like a research study on, enrollment and out-of-state enrollment and how you could <laughs> there's a direct correlation to how well the football team did the, the kind of the ascension and the amount of out-of-state enrollment that the university of oregon got and how from you know 2007 to 2011 it had like tripled the number of out-of-state enrollment that the university had gotten so when people talk about that you know the football program brings in money just for the football program it also brings in 
money for the university with that out-of-state enrollment and what the, the brand and the message does, you can't ignore that and think that it doesn't influence, you know, everything and just the, you know, the community and the pride and everything that went around um, the football team and how, how great it is to go back there and, and be a part of that and, and see that it's still going strong and that the, you know, the, some of the venues have changed from the old locker room to the new locker room and the, you know, the parking lots and stuff, but it's still a lot of the things are, are the experience of the game day experience at Oregon and Austin stadium is still unlike anything that I've seen traveling, you know, all over the country and playing pro football and everything. It's still one of the best experiences and one of the coolest atmospheres I've ever seen. Well, Mark, you know, thank you so much, not just for your time for doing this interview, but, you know, for everything you contributed to Oregon football. Uh, and, you know, coming on uh, such last minute notice uh, for our championship episode, I have to say, you gave us a championship caliber interview. Thank you so much for coming on. <laughs> yeah, I'm 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 too long winded. I yak too much. I, I I try not to, but I just get going and I just need to shut up sometimes <laughs> no no sir everything you said is great content and our listeners are going to love it and uh thank you for coming on brother and go ducks go ducks baby and that once a duck followers is why i wanted mark Asperon. what a great interview We've had some great responses on Twitter. Everybody's gotten their feedback out there on who they want on the show. But I had to get had to get the guy standing right next to me, Mark Asper. As far as our last show with Jeremiah Johnson, we had one first correct Twitter responder to get, and that was regular listener of the show at my high duke, Charles High Duke. I finally got the name down. No issues. I'm proud of so, you. Uh, thank, thank you very much for not only listening to the show, but following along. We got some great responses this time. And uh, Charles Hyduke guessed Jeremiah Johnson first. Well, boom. He guessed that first. Do you know what I'm going to guess? I'm going to guess that there are going to be a lot of our listeners down at Santa Clara this weekend. I know I'll be there. Nick, I know that you will be watching the game. I cannot wait for this one. Get a hold of us, please. He's at JustFollow61. I'm at Samuel101TS. If you are watching the game up in Seattle, hit up Nick. If you are down in Santa Clara, hit me up. Let's hang out before the game. Let's talk ducks. And you know that the two of us are going to have a social media presence. Me at the game, him watching the game. Both of us with an equal amount. Well, that's just not even true. I can't even pretend that. Nick, with a whole lot of real intelligent insight, me just talking about whatever it is I see directly in front of me. Absolutely. I will be at Aussies. Sam, you will be down there at the game. Reach out to us. Let us know. Uh, tell us what it's like and, and if you've heard the show. And uh, we can't wait to see you. And keep watching for us because we're going to go live. We'll do it live! You are <laughs> as, right. We will. As you noticed in our last game, we, we're taking more opportunities to expand our social media and uh, get Once a Duck to you in as many ways as possible. And, and you can always reach out to us at Once a Duck. Let us know what you're thinking uh, and, and where you want to see us go next, uh, especially as we go into bowl season coming up next. So, Sam, thank you very much. I think this was a great episode for the Pac-12 championship. I'm really excited to see how we do against the Utes and uh, everyone out there. Once a duck, always a duck. Thank you for listening, and go Ducks.